Hey friend, it's Chris. Welcome to Ecce Domino, Latin for Behold the Lord. Let's get beholding. This is the list of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, a descendant of David, who was a descendant of Abraham. From Abraham to King David, the following ancestors are listed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah and his brothers, then Perez and Zerah, their mother was Tamar, Hezron, Ram, Aminadab, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz, his mother was Rahab, Obed, his mother was Ruth, Jesse, and King David. From David to the time when the people of Israel were taken into exile in Babylon, the following ancestors are listed. David, Solomon, his mother was the woman who had been Uriah's wife, Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amon, Josiah, and Jehoiachin and his brothers. From the time after the exile in Babylon to the birth of Jesus, the following ancestors are listed. Jehoiachin, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, Abiud, Eliakim, Azor, Zadok, Akim, Eliud, Eleazar, Mathen, Jacob, and Joseph, who married Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Matthew 1, 1-16, GNT. Love doesn't obey all the rules we try to give it. That's the heading for January 22nd from Live in Grace, Walk in Love by Bob Goff. Love isn't just an abstract concept, though. Love is a person, and love works in mysterious ways. Jesus' genealogy is mostly a list of men, but every woman mentioned is remarkable. First is Tamar, whose story can be found in Genesis 38. Judah leaves his brothers after selling Joseph into slavery. He marries a Canaanite and has three sons. The first is married to Tamar, but God kills him for his wickedness. According to the custom of the day, if a husband died without leaving an heir, his brother would marry the widow and the first child would continue the original husband's line. So Judah's second son marries Tamar, but he's also wicked, so God kills him too. Judah is afraid Tamar is a black widow, so he refuses to marry his youngest son to her. Tamar, in desperation, resorts to the world's oldest profession. She doesn't even have to seduce Judah. He sees her wearing a veil and not recognizing her. Judah pro propositions Tamar. Later, Judah finds out Tamar is pregnant and not realizing he's the father, insists she be burned alive. She proves his complicity and he repents. Tamar gives birth to twins, one of whom is an ancestor of Christ. If you're keeping track, Jesus has just grafted into his family a foreign idolater who's guilty of prostitution and incest. Not that Judah's any better. If I were God, I would have struck him dead long before this. If I were God, I would have picked Joseph instead. But God is redeeming the mess. Next, we have Rahab. Most of her story is found in Joshua 2. She too was a Canaanite, an inhabitant of Jericho. The Israelites had finally left the wilderness after 40 years of wandering, beginning the conquest of the Promised Land. Jericho's walls were supposed to make it impregnable. Joshua, Moses' successor, sent two spies to scope out the city. Rahab, a prostitute, hid them. Because of her faith, her family was saved from the slaughter when the walls came tumbling down. Still, aren't the Israelites supposed to be holy, set apart? Aren't they supposed to be pure? Here's another foreigner, another woman with a sketchy past. On to Ruth. There's a whole book named after her. She was a Moabite, descended from Abraham's nephew, Lot. Her husband emigrated from Israel during a famine, but he died along with his father and brother. 
When Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, want, wanted to go home, Ruth insisted on coming along, leaving her own people and history behind. Naomi's family never should have left Israel, but God works it for good. Boaz, Naomi's husband's kinsman, is kind to the widows and provides for them. Ruth takes Naomi's advice and scandalously sleeps at Boaz's feet. Boaz takes the hint and they marry. God creates a mixed family that honors the old yet embraces the new. Naomi is no longer bitter. Ruth is no longer a stranger or a widow. And Boaz is no longer just the old single nice guy. Bathsheba's story, primarily in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, isn't quite so cheery. She's married to Uriah the Hittite, a loyal soldier in the king's army. But the king watches her bathe. He sends his attendants to fetch her, even though they tell him she's taken. They have sex and she gets pregnant. Uriah proves more faithful drunken than the king is sober, so the king has him sent to the front lines and abandoned. The king thinks he's gotten away with it, marrying Bathsheba after she's completed her ritual mourning. But God knows and calls David out. The child dies at just a week old. God is merciful, though, and they have another son. This wretched king is the man after God's own heart. Jesus is referred to as the son of David, and it's a compliment. The son who lives? You know him as Solomon, but God calls him Jedidiah, meaning loved by the Lord. He becomes the next king, even though he's the fruit of a relationship that never should have happened. Solomon builds the temple, aka the place that holds the presence of God. I have no idea why Solomon lives while his older brother dies. But God is still God, still just, still merciful, still good. Mary is Joseph's fiance when an angel appears and tells her she's about to be pregnant with God's child, which is a lot. Joseph thinks she's cheated and intends to break their engagement, though quietly, he doesn't want to embarrass her. Who ever heard of a pregnant virgin? The story is found in Matthew 1. She didn't do anything wrong, but it's still a crazy story. Joseph is instructed by God to honor his commitment, and he does. Jesus' stepdad might be the most underrated guy in the Bible. I don't envy him. I want to mention one more story that's unrelated. 1 Kings 17 is what actually inspired this episode. Elijah was a prophet of the Lord. God sent a long drought, but fed Elijah via the Raven Express, which is already ridiculous. But what does God command next? To leave Israel for Jezebel's homeland to move in with a widow and her son. Needless to say, this violates the Billy Graham rule. But God cares about that widow and that orphan as well as Elijah, and he brings them together to bless one another. The best thing this woman could imagine was one last meal with her son before starving to death. But God wrecked that plan. Then her son dies, and she's mad at Elijah, thinking God is punishing her. But she witnesses the first recorded resurrection. Who is this kid that God should undo death for him? He's loved. She's loved. Elijah is loved. I'm a linear thinker. I like structure and rules and predictability. Christianity is not a lab experiment, though. Knowing God is not a controlled event. He doesn't hand us an itinerary. He just invites us to go with him. He obviously has his commandments and he's passionate about righteousness. But the Pharisees are proof that righteousness is greater than mere rule keeping. The lineage of grace as Francine Rivers refers to these five scandalous women, is proof that love is weird and that love wins. Our God called the universe into existence from nothing. He made us out of dust and his breath. He doesn't need a lot to work with. He doesn't actually need anything to work with, but he is working. If you 
like me, are overwhelmed by the messiness and ridiculousness of life right now, here's Corey Asbury's advice. Fall into the mystery. <laughs>